had a happy, healthy holiday season. We've got a fresh set of episodes on deck for the coming months that I hope will be both entertaining and helpful to all of our listeners, including all of you emerging writers and MFA applicants. Recently, one listener, Jenna Lee, wrote a review of our show on Apple Podcasts that says, Insightful and compelling. I appreciate how Jared takes great inventory of applicants' needs and interests with each interview. I found this podcast insightful and have enjoyed the all-around compelling conversations with a range of guests. So I just wanted to say thank you to Jenna. I appreciate you listening and taking the time to write a review of the show. These reviews help more people find the podcast, and for those of us on the podcast team, they help brighten our day. So thank you so much. You can find MFA Writers on Instagram and Twitter, as well as MFAWriters.com. We love to hear from listeners, so feel free to shoot us a direct message on one of those platforms, or an email at MFAWritersPodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a minute to rate or review the show, the best place to do that is on Apple Podcasts. Doing so will help boost our podcast as we try to boost these amazing writers. Finally, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to MFA Writers, the podcast where we talk to creative writing MFA students about their program, their process, and a piece they're working on. I'm your host, Jared McCormick. Today I'm with Jason Rodriguez. Jason is a second year MFA and writing student focusing on design, interactivity, and poetry at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. He's been a producer on the school's podcast, SAIC Beat, for the last three seasons. He's been an assistant poetry editor for the journal Anomaly and recently worked on a queer sci-fi stop-motion short film titled Mother Bunker, which played at the Ann Arbor Film Festival, Outfest, and Melbourne International Film Festival. His writing has been published in places like Glitter Mob, Mannequin House, Word for Word, and Gasher, and was included as the introduction to Michael Aurelio's poetry collection, The Smokers. Today, he's brought three short pieces to read for us. So these pieces are kind of like visual pieces, so... Um, this first one is going to be in an upcoming issue for Bathhouse Journal, which is very exciting. Joan Cusack smiles, and I hear morning traffic, seven texts in like, shouldn't my half-lit gills of silence somewhere in New England, somewhere in that simple sugar Sisyphus bejeweled sinus of reflection, sliding up the staircase as some procession of language inflate Giovanni Ribisi looks at me as if I'm James Holden, as if I'm meeting freckles in the bathroom, jotting down footsteps, embraced weather in his pocket, drinking with my left hand in that commotion of humor. He'll buy me a hairline someday in the giblets of my mind, his fingers watching Hassan lap. Awkward text to co-workers tasting detergent again. Give me an eyelid to remember why I'm below after 8.05. And then this next one. I'm an afternoon handshake, bowing between windows, posting up-to-date psychology as visual, contemporary, carousel, commentary. Drink some water, please, to me. The milieu is wanting. And then... Bustle of eyelids, sweating in the plat onslaught of character, feeding a thin night at the new sen, tucking t-shirts into my Wi-Fi overalls, cooing feral sips of cabernet, blessed with convenience fees, eating through a left-hand famine. Thank you, Jason, for reading those, and thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Well, as you mentioned, these are really visual pieces right and like that's the first thing that jumped out to me when I read them was the visual nature of them it's a thing that you call tile poems and obviously our listeners can't see them when they're just listening this episode so I was hoping you could describe them in some way if that's possible and talk a bit about how you came up with this idea for the tile poems yeah so they are it's essentially a bunch of grid poems that I'm just I'm just kind of I'm just kind of calling them tile poems uh, and their inspiration kind of like they're influenced by the flip flap boards. So those, uh, when you would go to like an airport in like the, like way back when I'm like, I don't know if I'm old, even old enough to have seen it, but you know, you go to an airport, you go to like a train station and have these like boards that would have, you know, all the locations and departure times. And the idea was to kind of have that grid system and then kind of capture that motion of them flapping and flipping. So a lot of the texts are overlaid. They're, 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 they're sort of muddled. 
And it, it, it's almost as if they're captured by like a slow shutter speed of like a camera. So everything is kind of just uh, sort of washed out a little bit, I think, I think was what I would call it. It's like kind of hazy in a way, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yes. There's, there's also, there's kind of this like, I don't know. It's like your eyes have to adjust to the poems in a way as your mind is like adjusting to the words. It's kind of an interesting effect that they have on, on a reader, I think. And, you know, and you told me before the interview that your writing um, has fallen into a concern with the run on sentence, particularly with the inner monologue in mind. And I think this plays off of that idea of like, it's like your eyes are trying to catch up with the words that they're seeing while your mind is trying to catch up with this sentence that's like running on and on. So what is it about the run on sentence and the idea of the inner monologue that you find interesting and inspiring? And and what ways do you think the tile form aids in that exploration? Well, that's really, that's really fantastic question, I guess. Uh, So I, so I was working first in a sort of more traditional concrete poetry, sort of like, standard if i dare even say that geez but it 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 the so you know when you think of like concrete poetry right you think of like what was happening maybe in like the 50s and 60s and you think of like you know that future sort of text or very simple text and very simplistically designed in a way that uh you know is accessible and it's easy to read and uh what i was discovering in my writing is that it was moving away from that and it was more interested in the sort of like onslaught of image and sound and motion and movement. And I was, and I was still very much fascinated with, with continuing with this visual sort of scheme. And I was wondering what sort of avenue could I take to kind of join it all together? Because what I was doing before wasn't really working with the concerns I had. So I started. I started thinking of of grids as a way to sort of confine the language, to kind of encase it, and uh, in a way where the the run on sentence wouldn't sort of be limited by the expectation of the line. I guess because um, when you just see like a block of text and it just keeps going and on and on and on. There's, it almost feels like it has no motivation. So the idea was trying to find a way to motivate the text to continue forward. Yeah, I think that idea of like the onslaught of language and images is interesting. And I wonder if it's, you know, is it something about this present moment that has created that idea for you that you're trying to explore, like something cultural? I mean, we're talking about, you're using like this tile form that, you know, your reference was these like airport tiles, which I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) These like departure arrival tiles that would flip and say like, you know, that a a flight was on time or delayed or whatever. I remember I've seen them from movies, right? Yeah, of course. That's that's honestly probably where they stem from for me. Right. right. But so that's like a, uh, you know, like a past cultural reference, but then you move into the present moment where I don't know about you. I feel constantly in this onslaught of images and words that are constantly being fed to me through our technology. And I wonder like, are those two things kind of coming together for you? Is that like motivating you in some way? No, obviously. I mean, like you can't, you can't not be influenced by what's happening around us all the time. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a question I always have for my own work too, is like what the objective of like visual poetry or visual writing in sort of this era where it's, you know, this era of just the image culture, image-based culture, you know, I, I guess I have noticed a change in my writing over the past several years, like so many people, you know, my, a lot of the writing that I was doing prior, let's say pre-pandemic was very observational and, you know, I would go, I, like, I loved going out and I loved going to like bars and just watching people and jotting down things. And then it's just kind of like combining those, those ideas together. And then when you're kind of just like stuck in a place and you're just stuck with yourself in your own mind, I mean, I suppose that certainly influenced the emphasis on the inner monologue. Cause that's kind of all I have right now. That's kind of all, all, all any of us really have um, in some way, because, you know, maybe some of us are, in person in some areas or not, but you know, this, this time has really been really isolating for so many of us. And I, I suppose it does certainly um, fall into the areas that I'm concentrating on. Definitely. 
we're simultaneously uh, super isolated in these moments, but also living in this time period in which we're streaming things into our home. We're getting constant alerts on our phone. So we're, we're still constantly yeah. like, being bombarded by these images and these, Correct. Uh, these ideas, even though we're like stuck in our homes. So and I, I think bombarding bombardment is like the perfect, the perfect word for that. And, 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 you know, I think it's also just anxiety <laughs> to be honest. Like it's just every, like the, the past few years that just my anxiety has just gone up. And so has, I guess my writing and, and how it, it just wants to jump. It, it doesn't, it doesn't care where it leaps to. It just, it's just trying to find that conclusion of this thought that just began with a simple idea, you know, like Joan Cusack smiles or, you know, I, I, I'm a handshake or like some, I like, it's just, it's trying to navigate itself to its, its proper conclusion. And, and, and for me, when I, like my thoughts are always racing, like, and it's just all these different hinges that just keep coming and going and, eventually I just find that end point, I suppose. And I guess that's reflected in my writing. Yeah. I think it comes through really well. I think, you know, a lot of us have dealt with anxiety over the past year and a half, two years. And if we were dealing with it before, it's just only heightened over the last couple of years. Right. And so I think that it is really interesting what you're doing. You're kind of channeling that anxiety into the visual representation of these poems. It's interesting. And you not only write, but you also work in visual mediums, having studied film at Cal arts. So after reading your poems, I couldn't help but feel that there, those interests were kind of coming together in the pieces. Like people don't usually think of writing as a visual art form, but you seem to be challenging that notion. So in in what ways do you see your interests in visual art inspiring or transforming your writing or vice versa? Oh, a hundred percent cinema influences where I'm at today. You know, I, I, I started writing through cinema like way back when writing like little like silly screenplays as a child. And, uh, you know, when I went to Cal arts, you know, I, I, w- I went in there th- thinking that I would do like directing and blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I soon discovered and found myself doing like weird video art and, uh, and it just eventually kind of culminated and combined itself into like, uh, poetry, like video sort of poetry. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the projects I did there was I, I co-founded a, I, a multi, we called it, I think we called it a multimedia poetry collective um, with uh, my good friends, uh, Michael Aurelio and uh, Johanna Deeb. And we did uh, like a three-part video installation, spoken word thing. And I, th- I think at that moment when that was done, I, I, I kind of realized there's I could I could do more with this visual method than I was tr- doing prior, and so it, it kind of moved away from the page, and it moved away from the page into like the screen, and then um, I kind of stumbled back into the page for a second, I guess, because I thought I could do like this performance stuff, and I realized the performances I was doing um, weren't necessarily being represented on the page. So I guess I went back into how can I view the page as a, a sort of like a screen or like a performance venue, I guess. And I guess that's how I sort of found my way into more visual writing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And you told me before the interview that you see poetry as the sister art of cinema. So what is it about these two mediums that you think are similar? And in what ways do you think about and utilize those similarities in your own work? Of all the of all the arts, I I, I really do see poetry and, and cinema just hand in hand. I, I I think with poetry, we're we're you know we you know you tell stories, but you're also presenting stories. I think, and cinema is you know it is a storytelling method, but it's also presenting stories um, through a perspective through a POV. You know, it, it is also there 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 are two art forms that deal heavily with image, with sound, with motion, with movement in a way that I feel like perhaps other mediums aren't necessarily on the same wavelengths. And maybe that's just me. That's probably just me. But it's also coming from, you know, a background in film where I write in a way where I'm sort of putting together a puzzle. So I, I'm constantly writing down ideas, sort of fragments, phrases, words, 
And, you know, I'll start with, you know, one idea, you know, like Joan Cusack smiling. And, and then I'll start piecing these other sounds and the other's motivations sort of to, together. And in a way, it's almost for me, it's like editing. Um, it's like editing a film. It's like taking different sections and kind of combining them together. Uh, but I also, I view, I suppose I, I view language, you know, each word is for me like a frame you know, there's what, 24 frames, 27, 30, whatever it is. Um, You're just adding more frames. So as you build it, you're creating like these seconds and these moments. And that's how I, how I see, I guess, my writing as this build up to one image. Like I said before, this build up to like this conclusion. Yeah. That ties into the idea of the tile poems too, right? Where you're putting like each letter into essentially a frame and those frames are adding up to make words and sentences and images and feelings. Correct. Yeah. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And you mentioned editing film and the relationship to writing poetry before the interview, you had mentioned this film editing principle that I had never heard of. It's called the Kalushov effect. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and how you think that relates to writing and revising poetry. Yeah. So that, that effect, it, it's essentially just, uh, you know, it, say you have an image of a man sitting in a chair and then you cut to an image of a baby crying. And then you go back to a man, the same man sitting in that same chair and you cut to, you know, a, a woman singing on a stage, you know, the way that it's cut together, the, the man and the baby, the man and the woman, there's going to be a different emotional sort of outcome that the audience um, or the viewer is going to experience from that, 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 that connection. And that's kind of how I see language and words acting, like what, what emotion, what, what sort of action, what sort of motivation can, can I, can we stumble into through these combinations of sounds and words and images? Like where can we go and, uh, you know, where, where does this lead essentially is what I'm asking constantly. Where does this go? Yeah. And when you're, re- I imagine when you're revising your poems, thinking like, okay, well, if I put this word here or this sentence here after this sentence, how does that change the feeling? How does that change the meaning of this thing that I'm writing? Correct. Yeah. I like that idea. I like that idea of, you know, letters being frames of film, but also like words being essentially scenes or sentences being scenes, maybe, and how you arrange them and the order you put them in can, can completely change the meaning and the feeling of a piece. Right now, you, you, you told me you're currently working on a hybrid poem that utilizes the screenplay form. So it sounds like you're continuing to probe that boundary between cinema and literature. Could you tell us a bit about that project? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a weird, silly little project that I've been working on kind of on and off for a while, Uh, for a while, for some time now, I've been experimenting with just like the idea of the scene header uh, in a screenplay, you have a scene header. It's, you know, it's like interior bedroom night, you know, and I, I was experimenting with the idea of like the scene header as a poem and then what follows sort of like, you know, uh, you know, the extension of it. And I was just doing little, little sections of it. And then that expanded into a project I did my first semester um, at SAIC uh, where I did a uh, sort of like a permutation uh poem permutation screenplay uh infinite screenplay i think i called it where uh you would take like a blot you would take like a quarter of a page and it was like a website that every 15 seconds it would change into like a different um a different sort of screenplay piece uh i guess from that piece i just i, I was just more fascinated with what else i could do with the screenplay you told me that you view the page whether that be the physical page or beyond, it's a performance venue rife with interactive opportunities. So maybe this is a chance to expand on that idea a little bit related to the screenplay. I'm curious if you have ideas for ways in which that screenplay project you're working on could become something more interactive or visual that that you work on beyond the page. Sure. I guess I guess when I say interactive, right? Like I don't I don't know if it I don't know if it means that's a question I'm still stumbling in is I don't know if it means like interactive in the way that you can like physically like touch it and feel it or move it, or if it's interactive in that I'm demanding or, you know, requesting 
the reader to participate. I mean, that's kind of like the language poets, right? Like their whole, their whole system, which they were highly criticized on was like, you know, trying to motivate the reader to be in, to be active participants. You know, I, I, the art that I appreciate, it goes back to cinema too, is, is, is ones that, that demand uh, the audience or the viewer to, to participate in some way or to recognize the actual fact of viewing um, or reading, you know, I think, you know, one of the, you know, the director that everyone probably loves is, you know, Godard, like he, he, he did sits, he did things with cinema to kind of like demand your attention to the fact that you were watching a film. And I guess that's kind of what I'm trying, you know, what I'm aiming for in this project is, is sort of that request and that the balance of that request and figuring out how to navigate that, I suppose. Well, it sounds very postmodern, right? I mean, this is uh, like what most <laughs> maybe you don't want to um, be called oh, postmodern. Oh, no. But uh, I mean, this is what they were concerned with, right? Like they wanted to point out the fact that like a story was doing something. They wanted their reader to be aware that they were a participant in the thing that they were reading, right? Yes, and I, I guess I, I guess I, I you know so many people don't. I feel like a lot of people are hesitant to be active participants, right? Like, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, maybe it goes back to what we were talking about related to this cultural moment where we're constantly intaking information. Like, we're just bombarded with information, visuals, uh, words, and we're intaking so much that – and the pandemic, I think, has exacerbated this. We don't have as much opportunity to interact. There's not interaction with those things. It's just intake, intake, intake. And I think, you know – just like talking about anxiety, it's a cycle, right? You get used to thinking a certain way and then it compounds and you keep thinking that same way. And so if you're constantly being bombarded with um, with images and information and just taking that stuff in without interacting with it, you get out of practice in a way. It yeah. feels uncomfortable to interact. Yeah. No, I, you know, that, you know, it does. It does. I think that's a beautiful way to put it, actually. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't disagree with any of that. So I wonder if, you know, it seems to me that pushing the reader to interact with the poetry or pushing the reader to interact with the the stuff that you're writing is an important endeavor right now, because at some point I'd like to think this pandemic will end and we will go back to some world in which it seems normal again, right? In which we can be around people without like a baseline level of anxiety. So we're going to have to learn how to interact with one another again. So maybe that's, going to be a project in art after during this moment and after this moment's over to get us interacting again, getting us talking about what we feel when we're reading something. I think so. I think, you know, what I'm noticing here is, you know, at SAIC, you know, that we're still, you know, this is my first semester in Chicago. You know, I was studying remotely in LA last, last year. And, you know, I, I was excited. You know, when we came back, this last semester, I think a lot of us were, you know, we're like, we're at the end. It's, it's near the end. We can start getting together. We can do things. And I think, you know, we're still, what I, what I noticed is that not everyone was ready and not everyone was prepared. And, and maybe it is influencing the way that we are interacting with what we consume. Um, and hopefully, hopefully after all of this is said and done, um, we will find a way to challenge that interaction that we've been having. Well, I think being aware of those, um, those kind of constraints that have been put on us and how those are affecting us and the way we interact with people is an important thing to keep in mind when we're creating. I think it's an, an interesting thing to probe. And you brought up the program SAIC. I want to talk about this program a bit. It's an MFA in writing program at the School of the Arts Institute in Chicago. It's a two-year program that according to the website provides a rigorous yet flex flexible curriculum to challenge and accommodate individual explorations of process and form. You told me that the program doesn't rely on the typical genre tracks in poetry, fiction, and nonfiction. So what does SAIC do differently? Yeah. So what, what, you know, when I was applying to school, you know, this round, I, SAIC was my was literally my top choice because of the fact there weren't tracks. You know, when I was looking into programs, I, and because I was working in a visual medium in a way, I was working with like concrete poetry. That was what I, you know, submitted as my, uh, 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 my portfolio. 
I, I wasn't sure where I would necessarily fit. Like, obviously it's poetry, but it has, you know, is it, is it poetry? Um, so I was looking for places that would allow me, you know, this, this, this ability to investigate um, other areas of writing without being constrained or confined to one particular track. Um, you know, because I obviously have interest in screenwriting, I have interest in poetry, I have an interest in 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 sort of visual stuff. So I it I didn't want to feel limited by that. And so what I think SAC does is that it emphasizes that 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 individuality and of of just the demand of the individual wanting to to scope out their surroundings um, and. As a result, we get a lot of really interesting work from a variety of different writers. You know, we have playwrights, we have uh, poets, we have fiction, nonfiction, memoirists, we have sequential artists. You know, comics. It, we, it, it's just it's 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 lovely to be able to engage with so many different ideas um, in a classroom setting because it opens up your mind and it op- it opens up you know the way that you look at writing. You know, perhaps some of the things that I said earlier in our conversation, maybe I wouldn't have said that had I not been, you know, you know, uh, 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 you know, brought to the attention of some of the interest of other people, you know, when you're in a, a field that's just like one mindset, you know, it, I feel like it might be difficult to, to uh, not question, but kind of like, you know, look, look beyond the, you know, see your peripheries. And here you have that ability to see the peripheries and to engage with it if, if you so please. So I, that, that I think was, you know, is what's really fascinating about the program. So I imagine that means that you're taking a lot of classes with people who are doing completely different things than you, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm in classes with, like I said, playwrights. I'm in classes with, uh, you know, comic book, uh, you know, sequential graphic novel artists, um, poets, obviously, people who are working on their, their, you know, this large extensive projects, whether it's like fiction or nonfiction, so you 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 know, and when you come to the workshops, you you get to experience all of those different fields, you know, and so it, it it's so lovely to 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 be able to jump between mediums or genres, and and to like really question sort of how you, uh, you know, like maybe you're not so maybe you don't have like that background in nonfiction, like I didn't really have a background on fiction, but because of you know my, the, the, you know, the community, I, I've been able to engage with that in a way that I'm like, huh, maybe there's something I could possibly do with this at some point. And now I'm taking that and I'm like, okay, how can I insert that maybe in the screenplay thing? How can I, like, how can I create sort of a nonfiction approach to, to screenwriting? If that makes any sense, <laughs> let's wander into that for a while. So, I mean, it, it, so that's, that, that's what's, I, that's, that's what excites me. And that's what excited me about the program. Yeah. That's super interesting. I, I really can't, imagine being in a workshop where people are doing like completely different things. I mean, the idea, the typical idea of a workshop is I write fiction. I'm in a room with people who write fiction and we're focusing on how to improve a piece of fiction, right? Cause we're all trying to do that in our own work. So it sounds like you've identified a lot of benefits of being in the classroom with people who are doing lots of different things. Are there any drawbacks at all to being in a workshop with people who maybe aren't writing poetry or aren't writing visual poetry like you're writing? I think that, well, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, an honest answer would be that, you know, sometimes because there is, you know, because, because we're not all familiar with different things, we have to explain ourselves a bit. But once that explanation is set, once you have said like, this is, this is my visual field, this is my visual influence, this is where I'm coming from, and you have that language, that sort of vocabulary to bounce off of, then, then the workshop is no different from a poetry workshop I had, you know, in my undergrad, you know, it, it's, it's the same thing. But what's different is that you, you know, you have all these different experiences coming in, um, that, 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 you know, challenge and, and, and allow you to, to experiment. So I'm curious what the actual workshop looks like then, because in the typical workshop, you present a piece of work, you don't talk, you sit there, you're silence and you listen to people talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Is that what they're doing at SAIC? Or are you like, 
allowed to have a conversation about the work that you're workshopping since people are on different pages? No, I, I honestly, it just, it just depends on, on the instructor, you know, like in some, in some classes, you know, we would call, there was one class we called it, you know, the, I think it was, we called it the woodshed where we would, you know, shed out whatever, um, you know, some, some, some instructors say, you know, you have to be quiet and you have to listen to feedback. Um, but most of the time, you know, it's art school, right? Like <laughs> we all have, we're all really opinionated, right? <laughs> so like, uh, it, it, you know, that silence is, it, it might last a, a couple of responses and then, you know, you got to You got to engage. You got to engage. Like you have to respond. So it, it's not, it's not quite so strict, but as but because of that, it, it it it's more freeing. I feel because I, I, you know, that's one of the, the dilemmas I had when I was looking at schools, and you know, obviously that sort of traditional workshop where you sit there and you just take it all. You know, it 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 it, it just felt really, it didn't feel inspiring, and I, you know, what it, it's art school, so what's freeing about it is the ability to to kind of just like speak your mind and be free, I guess. <laughs> so uh, to answer your, your question, I, I, no, it, it's not like that at all, which is, which is exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. I think it's great. I mean, I do think that, and I don't want to generalize, but I guess for me, I've found that like the silencing workshop has helped me or did help me to a certain point in my progress as a writer. And now I'm reaching that point where it's like, I'm not sure sitting there in silence is really helping me that much. And I wish I had an opportunity to have a more interactive conversation about the work that I'm presenting in workshop. So it's nice that you have like some flexibility there and it sounds like some professors are doing it different ways than others. So you can get a feel for both ways. Yeah. So how does it work for you all? Like, do you, you just sit there and then you get like 10 minutes to respond to each one. Is that how it works kind of? Um, well, again, it, it depends on the professor, right? So most of our classes are like, um, most of them are like three hours long. Like we meet once a week and we'll have like three pieces that we will workshop. So we get like sometimes like 40 minutes, 40 to 45 minutes on each one. But yeah, we we send out the story the week before, our classmates read it, and then we sit there in silence as they discuss it. And then at the end of the workshop, we have a chance to like speak, ask questions, comment on things they said. But for the most part, we're, we're silent during it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would, that'd be, that'd be a struggle for me, I think. <laughs> like, it is sometimes. It's just a struggle for me to not say something. Yeah, it is <laughs> Excuse sometimes. me. I have something to say. Uh, no, that's, uh, yeah. I guess I, you know, for me, it's, if it's, if it felt right, you know, the way it's going. But like I said before, all the instructors are quite different. They do it how their own way it's just about you know i think what's really cool is here is that the instructors really feel out sort of the room and where everyone's coming from and they kind of guide the process through that that's great yeah it really there's there's so much importance with the workshop um facilitator right with the instructor being able to read the room like you said and, and figure out where to where to move the conversation so what have been some of your favorite classes at saic the first class I signed up for was the Olipo class uh, with Beth Nugent. I think that you know it was the, it was the first class. I, it was the first class I knew I was going to take. <laughs> um, I had some experience with uh, like reading some Olipian. I think I'm saying that right, Olipian um, writers. But it, it was a, it, it was so interesting to kind of dive into this. I don't want to call it a movement. It's still, I guess it's, it's definitely still around, but it, it, you know, this, this sort of program of thought, I suppose, uh, of writing. I think that there's probably a lot of listeners who might not know what Olipo is. So maybe you could explain that a little bit and then talk about your experience in the class. Yeah, sure. So Olipo is, uh, just very, to very much simplify it, please, it is, uh, sort of a, a group of writers who work within constraints of writing. So, So instead of going in and, you know, knowing what they kind of like, instead of going in with like a story and whatever, they go in with a problem. They, They create the problem for themselves. They create the constraint and they work within that to, uh, to discover. And that's, what's really fascinating about them. Um, and in that class is what we did. You know, we, we, we would, have weekly assignments where we would write like lipograms, which is a kind of constraint where you're, you know, 
you're avoiding a certain letter in the alphabet or a, a, a univocalism where you're you're just using only one vowel and <laughs> um, and you're just writing with that one so you're writing with a e whatever um, and and the things that would that would show up like so, you know sometimes it's hard it's really hard to write within a constraint especially when you only have like a week <laughs> to figure it out and like to needle it through but that class has you know, everyone in that class has gone on to carry something over into all of their work that I've seen, whether it's whatever they're working on for their thesis or uh, just their smaller program, uh, the smaller little projects. You know, for me, I carry that over into that screenplay. You know, I have a section in the screenplay where uh, the constraint was every sentence. It's, it's, it's not, not the, the hardest constraint, <laughs> but every sentence had to start with like the letter A. And you, the attempt is to disguise it so you don't clue in the reader necessarily, but they're still seeing it. And it, it eventually becomes its own sort of rhythm and pattern and movement. And it, it, it uh, well, that's like me, <laughs> but I, you know, and I also like, I, there's one, there's one, uh, there's one project we did in the class. We did like a prose sestina, um, which uh, where we had to, you know, a sestina, you take, you know, you have to end a line, uh, certain words, whatever. And there was one word that we've you that we used in that, that project that I've carried over into almost into almost every other little project that, that I've used and it's always turned into, um, something interesting. So that, that class was a highlight for me. Yeah. And it seems like there are various opportunities outside of the classroom to get involved, um, around campus within the program at SAIC, and it sounds like you've taken advantage of some of those, including for the last three seasons, working as a producer on the school's F News magazine podcast, SAIC Beat. What's that experience been like? Yeah, uh, that I mean, SAIC Beat is is I'm really <laughs> like I, I I'm excited to be a part of it. I I knew as soon as I got into SAIC, I wanted to be part of the the paper, the school student paper, which is F News Magazine, which is lovely and very progressive. They do really incredible stories. Um, and uh, I noticed that they had a podcast. And so I just applied thinking, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll get it. <laughs> uh, and I had, a, you know, I had a lovely interview and I, you know, I, I, I got on board. And the first two seasons I worked with uh, MFA, um, and new arts journalism, Olivia Canny, who really, you know, she taught me everything about podcasting, you know, cause I came in without a background in journalism, right? Like I didn't, you know, I was just like, I listened to podcasts, maybe I can figure this out. <laughs> um, and you know, we, we, you know, each season we come up with an idea of like a theme. So that first season I worked on, we had the theme of forgiveness and permission, right? And so we talked to, you know, the first episode I worked on, which, you know, it sold me on working in podcasts, was with an instructor, I believe her name was Nicole Marroquin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sorry. And we talked about, you know, the Chicano and Black student uprisings in Chicago. And, you know, I, I, I did the, the audio for that. And it was like my, like I did audio before, but it was just so exciting to kind of combine all these things that I had in my, like what I, I guess I didn't realize I had in my pocket like and, and, and create sort of a sonic story. And uh, you know, we've gone on to do other, like the, 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 the fifth season we, we touched on like gender and sex work at SAIC you know, the sixth season, which we just finished, was a little bit more lighter. We talked about, you know, what students are doing, like, outside the school. And, you know, we, each season, we, there's something new to, to experience and to investigate, which is really exciting. So outside of the podcast, are there other ways that MFA students get involved with F News Magazine? Yeah, I mean, you could obviously you can apply to be like an editor of one of their sections, you know, art, you know, news, uh, comics, etc., or you can just be a contributing writer. Like that's how I kind of started. Like when I started, I applied as just, I, as I, I applied for the editor position at, in the literary section. <laughs> and uh, eventually I fell into the podcasting when I kind of was like, well, you know, I'm calling for this, but I really want the podcast, <laughs> uh, which I was really thankful for. Um, and so, you know, you, you, they usually test you out with like a, a you know, like a little 
test article that they'll either publish in the paper if they have space or online. And, you know, I, I, I wrote up, I believe I wrote an article on voting because the election was coming up 2020 and just, uh, you know, the direction of millennials and Gen Zers and, and, uh, uh, you know, please go out and vote. <laughs> and here's, here's how you can access voting, <laughs> please. So, and that was really exciting to do that. Yeah. So additionally, you've been a TA since your first semester and have worked closely with students on intro to writing courses and a BFA writing thesis class. And since then, you've also become a tutor at the school's writing center. So what have these experiences been like? They've been, they've been amazing. I mean, like I, I, one of the things I wanted to really concentrate on is, 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 uh, getting my hands on teaching and sort of what that means, like what what is pedagogy essentially, you know. So I I, I applied for a TA position thinking that you know I, I might not really have a chance because I didn't really have any background in teaching. I just had all this experience in film and and as like this like a editor, assistant editor, and some like weird stuff. But it, I you know the, the experience was you know the intro to writing was my first one and what I discovered was that I really loved working with others through the process of their writing and the process of their editing, you know? So like, I, I kind of already knew that because as a producer on a film, you know, just depending on what kind of producer you are, you're working really closely with, you know, the creators to kind of, you know, foment or build up the, the, the what will become the iota of the idea. Right. And as a TA, I discovered that that was sort of a transferable, um, uh, like interest and, you know, sitting down with students and, and, and one-on-one sitting down one-on-one with students, like after class and just talking about their process and where they can go, like why this line isn't, you know, maybe you should consider this or that, uh, it, it, I don't know, it gives me like so much, like like weird thrill and just to know that I can like, it's weird. It's sick. Um, just to know that I could, I could like, I be, I help, I could help guide them. And I think that's, that's what I love doing is I, I, I really love the process of guiding someone, taking, seeing what they're, what they're aiming for, seeing what that aim is, that, that, that achievement and not taking like my own biases into it and just going, okay, I see what you're doing. Now let's 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 kind of sculpt this out. Let's see let's see how we can we can move this here. How we can how can we take this essential part and and let it bloom? You know that's that's what's really exciting for me about TA. And and in when I was doing the BFA thesis class, that was that was super intense because these are all f- like last year BFA students who are fantastic writers. And really, you know, super intimidating. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're working with them one-on-one on their poetry or their fiction. And their, you know, their, their end was to have a collection, either of a collection of poetry or uh, like a, you know, a long form sort of sh- collection of short story or like a longer fiction piece that they'll go on to do. And just, you know, there's, there's a, there's a moment when you're working with a student and you, you know, you suggest something and, and then several weeks go by and then, and then suddenly you're reading their work and we're having workshop and you're like, oh, wow, that, that, that one little tidbit of thing that I kind of threw out there is like, it, it, it has somehow bloomed into like this wonderful thing. I'm, my background's in teaching, so I totally understand what you're saying. It is a really special feeling. So in general, how do these TA positions work? Are, are you applying for them each year? Are these things that you get awarded when you apply for the program? How does that work? Oh, that's a good question. No, no, that's a really good question. Uh, you, it's, a, it's, a, it's something you apply for each semester. So unlike, unlike some programs where I think I know what you're talking about, you know, you get funding through TAing. You do get funding, like you do get paid for the TA ship here. Uh, but it's something you apply for every semester. It's not something that's guaranteed. And, and what does that funding look like? Are you, is it um, you're getting paid like a, a monthly stipend? Are you getting any tuition remission, anything like that? No, you're getting paid hourly. So you're getting paid, yeah, you're getting paid hourly for the work that you do. And so TA positions, writing center, do you have a sense of like other kind of funding opportunities for if people are considering going to SAIC to study in the MFA, like ways that they could 
um, get funding while they're there? Yeah, there's so many opportunities. I mean, you can, you can, you can, it's not just the writing center or the TA ships, you know, you can, there, there's like a media center you can work at, you can work in the library, you can, you can, uh, you know, there's, there's little jobs and little places that you can, you can like wedge yourself in, you know, in the printmaking shop and you can, you can, you can find little, little, little jobs where they will uh, help you out. After the interview, Jason asked me to clarify a bit on funding. He said the school and the program do offer alternative funding through either grants or scholarships. One person per cohort is awarded full funding, and from his understanding, there's a decent proportion of students who are awarded grants and or scholarships to assist their education. Jason said in his experience, the program and school will certainly go out of their way to try and accommodate your needs. And you told me before the interview that combined working for F News Magazine and TAing, you've had the chance to get immersed into the larger SAIC community. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the general vibe and community within the program and the school. Yeah, so that's 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 a really inter- interesting question because you know the past, you know, I got into school during you know the beginning and height of COVID. You know, like I said before, I was studying remotely my first year in LA. So for me, my introduction to the community was engaging as much as possible through these opportunities, whether it's through F News and the podcast, whether it's TAing for that first year. And then when I moved out here, I was able to kind of get a, you know, classes were a bit more in person. You get to get a better sense of how people are. I mean, it's an art school, you know, it's a class, you know, I won't call it classic art school, but you know, it's, it's art school. It's art school in that, you know, you're, it's going to be a very inviting, safe place for you to engage in, you know, most anything your mind wants to. And if, 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 if you have an idea, if you have like a, like a thought uh, for a project, there are opportunities for you to potentially get funding for those projects as well. So it's, it's all, it's all really, really um, creative, to say the <laughs> least. Creative and welcoming. That sounds great. And you mentioned that you were coming from LA, but now you're in Chicago. So how are you handling those winters? Oh my man, it, it was, it's 16 degrees today. It is 16. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what this is. You know, I, okay. So I, I love Chicago. Chicago is a beautiful city. It's it's a real city. I don't know if you've been to LA, but if anyone has been to LA, it is a collection of lovely neighborhoods, right? Um, and you have to drive three hours to just go two miles. So what I love about Chicago is that I can actually use the metro, right? And it actually it takes me somewhere. <laughs> it, I, I, I get on, and ten minutes later, I am somewhere close to my destination. Um, you know, arguably, arguably some people have, you know, different opinions on that, but I, I feel pretty secure in that, that opinion. But, uh, you know, you walk around there's, you know, there's these monoliths, the buildings that are just kind of like surrounding you. That's what I wanted. That's what I needed. That's what I love about Chicago. Um, and the people are really lovely. They're, they're, they're you know, it, 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 you know, it's that Midwestern kindness. Um, it's quite different from LA. Sure. You know, if I miss anything, I miss the desert. You know, I'm constantly thinking of we would go out to Joshua Tree, you know, at least twice a year. And, you know, I I miss that. <laughs> I miss that desperately. But what I, I have I have lovely, lovely scenery around me here. So Well, before we go, I want to give you the last word. So what I usually ask guests is to tell me one thing they think the program does really well. And one way in which they think the program can improve. Yeah. So what I think the program does really well is that it really captures the essence of whatever you're proposing to do. It it really strives f- to allow you to succeed in whatever um, capacity that is, whether, you know, whatever genre that is, whatever, whatever you're sort of in the middle of, of, of discovering and finding and navigating. So I've had, I've had classes where, you know, the final projects are arranged from, uh, a collection of poetry to someone's video performance, you know, like I've had my, like I was, I've been able to work in weird hypertext and, and do some like weird AR 
work where I, 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 I work, I'm learning code and I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, I'm just kind of <laughs> learning and I, I, I create like this weird AR field that I can like perform in. And, uh, you know, I had, I made like this weird QR code that became part of the performance and the reading of the poem. Like it gives you access to so much beyond, uh, you know, I guess, you know, the base of just writing and text and storytelling and ask you and it kind of begs you to to ask you for yourself like what is writing outside of just the page maybe and i think that's what's really interesting um i've had the opportunity to go to art school quite a bit in my life and you know there's art schools that are really like hippy dippy free uh you know like my undergrad it was <laughs> uh it was it was just one of those like weird fun schools and 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 sac is weird and fun too but i the, i think you know i think there's some cases where i feel like it's a bit bureaucratic in moments and it still works and it's still beautiful and whatever um but sometimes you know at the end of the day there's always there's always something <laughs> i think it's a good point to bring up uh, anyone listening thinking about grad school be ready for some bureaucracy to deal with uh, I, <laughs> I think it's president all these programs, even though we would love, we would love to be, you know, like just in a creative program where that stuff does not rear its head. It's going to, so get ready to deal with it, <laughs> but it sounds great. SAIC, it sounds like a great school. I love speaking of AR hypertext, all these like interesting areas that you can explore and see how they interact with the work you're doing. And, and just, I imagine a good way to think about SAIC is to come in with an open mind, not knowing like exactly what your project's going to be, but like being open to being inspired to do new things. It sounds like that's been the case with you. Um, and I'm really excited to see what you do next. And I'm really glad that you took the time to stop by and chat with me about your work. It's been a really lovely conversation. Yeah. I know. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I really appreciate it.